Welcome to Millennial 7-Eleven by Beyonce. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. This is actually kind of a really big episode, if you think about it. (laughs) In the past week, both Laura and I have received our first COVID-19 vaccinations. Wow. And Laura just got hers today. So let's start with Laura. How are you feeling, Laura? I feel I feel fine, honestly. I have a little soreness at the point of injection and I'm just the slightest bit foggy-headed, but just a tad. Nothing else. And it's been almost 12 hours since I got the vaccine. So, I'm feeling pretty good. And which one did you end up receiving? I got Moderna. Okay. We're twinsies. Yes, I got Moderna as well. I felt a little foggy as well, as did Pat after his. I was sleepy that day. Maybe I was just like emotionally exhausted after like finally getting my first vaccination or something. Or maybe I just wanted to pretend like I didn't feel well so I could sit on the couch all day, which I did. Um, But I will say I have had a headache at least once a day since getting the vaccination. I got it on Friday. Today's Monday. I had a headache a little over an hour ago. I take some painkillers. It goes away. But I never get headaches. So I'm attributing these headaches to the shot. But no complaints. I have a feeling that once you get to the one week mark, you know, your immune system's going to start kicking in. Mm-hmm. That would be my guess. Yeah. yeah. I honestly can't tell because we're in allergy season and I feel like shit all the time during allergy season to so to be honest with you I don't think that I would be able to discern the vaccine side effects from my allergies yeah right now I get that you're just constantly in pain <laughs> this time of year pretty much it's like I'm sorry across my forehead in my sinuses my face just feels like it's gonna explode yeah Also, over the past week, if I didn't get on one of those wait lists and uh, gotten lucky, I wouldn't have had to wait too much longer to get my first vaccination because the state of Nevada just announced uh, that they are going to be vaccinating everyone 16 and over beginning April 6th. And I saw today that Tennessee is doing something similar in the weeks ahead. A lot of states are starting to say, hey, everybody can get vaccinated starting on a certain date. As if that weren't good enough, we just saw today that Krispy Kreme is going to give everybody a free donut if you show up with your vaccination card. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. I want to see if some other restaurants follow that idea. I feel like some others will try to jump on this as well, right? Going to go on a tour of free things. (laughs) (laughs) Here's my vax card. Now give me that free donut. Coffee shops are pretty good about giving away free coffee. You know, mm-hmm. like I always see Pete's doing that or um, Duncan does that a lot too. Yeah. So yeah, Duncan better imagine get on that free donut and free coffee. Uh, perfect. Simming optional, I'm hearing from Krispy Kreme so far. So, Laura, do you want to talk about this? So, now that you got your first vaccination, you're thinking of life post COVID. You already have some plans. Yeah, so um, we have actually booked uh, a trip, like a delayed anniversary trip um, for May, which will be a good three weeks after our second dose. Uh, and we're going to New Orleans. I'm oh, so excited. Oh, boy. Have you been to New Orleans? I have only been once, and I was way too young to enjoy it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's going to be so really, much really fun. Excited. I'm so jealous. I've yeah. never been and I really want to go. <sighs> One of my favorite cities in America. So beautiful. The French Quarter. And uh, well, Laura, I have to recommend I need to look up the name of it. But there's a bar where you can go. You can sit in a barber's chair and they will Ooh. feed you shots while rubbing uh, their titties in your face and spin you around in the barber's chair. It's a real party. I did not do this. I don't want to have shots forced down my mouth. But you do want titties shaken in your face. Absolutely. That's what you're saying. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And they'll slap you. I need, I have some videos I need to show you. Like, this is not a joke. With the titties? With her hands and her titties. Like, it's, it's abusive. Speaking of people who are having a good time, but probably shouldn't be right now, let's talk about all the spring breakers that are in Florida, more specifically Miami right now. Have y'all been following these idiots? Yeah. Because I feel like it's going to make me angry. So, (laughs) Yeah, Pam, you can find video of just hundreds, if not thousands of people packed in together, having beach parties, sweating all over each other, 
you know, the police have started tear gassing them because they're not complying with uh, curfews and social distancing requirements. Of course, all of this falls on Florida's governor, by the way, because he's the one who has required the state to be open. Um, and he's also, you know, the buck stops with him and he's the reason that the bars and everything are open. So, of course, dumb college kids are going to Miami. Also, shame on their parents for financing that. <laughs> yeah, but this happened last year, too, didn't it? Weren't the beaches open in Florida yeah. during spring break? Yeah. Everybody was you, up in arms over it. You know that they're not all vaccinated this year. Oh, hell so. no. Yeah. yeah. But at least, you know, my thought is, you know, this time a year ago, there was a lot that we didn't know. You know, personally, I think that it was really dumb not to be cautious at that point. But at this point, you have no excuse. There's no excuse at this point to be participating in this kind of behavior and spreading this virus and potentially spreading the variants when we are so close. I think that's the really frustrating thing is I'm looking at these people and I'm like, guys, we're so fucking close. Mm -hmm. Stop. It just speaks to people's impatience and they got to get some photos for Instagram and pretend like everything's okay. To them, everything is okay. You know, these are the people who don't think they'll get affected by COVID and don't think about the fact that they will spread the virus to other people who haven't been vaccinated yet. Yeah. Well, there is some new CDC guidance for vaccinated people as well. For those of us who are getting on the vaccine train or are close to doing so. Um, So fully vaccinated people who've completed their uh, two vaccine series or their single vaccine series, if you got Johnson and Johnson, uh, can visit without masks or social distancing indoors but with other fully vaccinated individuals. Um, So that's a bit of a relief because I think a lot of, at least like our listeners, us, like we've all been potting, you know, like, you know, Andrew, you and Patterapod, Pam, you and your family, uh, me and my family. And so it does make it a lot easier when everybody is potting and you can depend on everyone in the pod to be vaccinated. It's the same with Mark's family, for example. We know that they're all going to be vaccinated. So there will come a point where we can go and hug Mark's mom again. <laughs> right. Which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. You can also visit indoors with individuals from a single household who have not been vaccinated so long as they don't have high risk conditions. So just be considerate, y'all. Okay, That's a pretty big step. Yeah. You can also skip quarantining and testing if exposed to someone with a positive asymptomatic COVID-19 diagnosis, but you should still monitor for symptoms for 14 days. So the TLDR here is no big parties or crowded bars. Got it. (laughs) That's basically what this this means. All right. I am thinking for my birthday, which is two months from the day this episode will be released, that I'll go to a pool in Vegas. I don't know. Do you approve? Two months from now, go to a pool. I mean, there's a lot of chlorine in those pools, so <laughs> that might kill everything. <laughs> you know, I I think it's also, you know, it depends on where your state is at right. that time. Yeah. If Nevada actually does open everything up by April 6th, then that would give people enough time to go through their full vaccination series. Right. So, yeah, I don't think it would be like I wouldn't go to a crowded pool. Like if you got there and it was like full to the brim, I would avoid it. But if it's like, you know, not too many people, I'd be okay with that. Yeah, because I like Florida, the problem that you all are going to have out in Vegas is that it's a destination spot for people that exactly a lot of people coming in you know who won't have been vaccinated by Mm -hmm. that point um I just want to sit by a pool and drink that's that's really it and I love the casino pools they're really great for that um and we're probably going to rent a day bed so actually we probably will be able to avoid people pretty easily because I imagine they space out those beds so I think I'll be fine And plus, I'm fully vaccinated, so (laughs) whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going to do, you know, when we go to New Orleans, it's going to be the same kind of thing. Like, we're going to go and cautiously enjoy ourselves. But if things are super duper packed, we'll probably avoid those things. Right. And you'll avoid the bartender throwing her titties in your face. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think I can do that. 
I this have, close to the pandemic. I have going to decide on another way to stimulate the economy. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> God, the live. I just remembered. I'm looking through photos of my trip to my trips to New Orleans. The live music in New Orleans is so fucking good. I fell in love with this one guitarist. I'll send you video of that, too. So I got video of titties. Oh, I remember. Did I tell you about this? Oh, you talked all about this guy. That's right. Oh, man. We heard all about him. You were so upset at the disrespect he was receiving from the clientele. Oh, my I don't know if I put it that way. Did I put it that way? <laughs> yeah. Oh, now I'm blushing. <laughs> I need to take this out. <laughs> no, that's really cute. <laughs> I've got videos. I got everything. I'm I want to see a video I'm of this guitarist that sitting, swept you away. <laughs> this, this, and my ex having uh, titties in his face as he's forced to drink shots. Lots of excitement in New Orleans. Anyway, you had your own medical event, right, Pam? Yeah, um, I also got vaccinated, but with a tetanus shot. And it was because I had to go get stitches on a Thursday. Oh, yeah. How'd you do I, that? Uh, so I was washing dishes right before we were going to have our bay hangout. And I was washing this cold brew coffee maker that I love with my whole heart that ended up doing me dirty because it shattered in my hand. And so I cut up my whole hand pretty bad but i cut my thumb up the worst and it just like was so disorienting because you know the water was running my hand was under the water and all of a sudden the water just started running red so that was terrifying Uh. and uh and i called my stepmom because she's a nurse and i was like this is what happened um i don't know if i need to go to the hospital can you like advise and uh and so she she walked me through bandaging it up and like cleaning it out while i was in the house um and she said that i could wait up to 24 hours to go which worked out really well because i was trying not to go to the emergency room since they're kind of um a little bit crowded out where i am because of like a a small little spike in covid um so that was just good to know that I could wait. And then I went on Thursday morning to get stitches because she was like, you should go get that checked out. And she hardly ever sends us to the hospital at all. Like half the time that we go, she's like, you didn't need to go. Mm. So I went and they stitched me up. And uh, and that's my story. <laughs> when you were there, were you like, hey, you know, while I'm here, you got any of I, those extra I vaccinations? Did, I did ask them, but but because I thought well, maybe... <laughs> Yeah, I was like, so what's well, the deal here. with the vaccinations? I, I mean, I was already there. <laughs> yeah. And uh and I think that she the the nurse that I had thought that I was asking because they had to give me the tetanus shot if like I could if I had to wait a certain period after. Uh I don't yeah. I do, but I don't. Um and but they don't do them there where I went. So Well, you tried. I did. I tried because I figured I might as well ask if they had any extra or she like had a hot tip about, you know, some pharmacy nearby that had some extra doses. Uh, but she did not. So darn. Have you tried calling around or anything to to places? Like yeah, to get on yeah. standby so list? I, I took your advice and and I'm on standby list. I don't like I think like everybody, I am I obviously am itching to get vaccinated. But because I work from home, I, I I feel like if I have to wait a little bit longer, it's mm-hmm. not that big of a deal. Like, I would rather, um, you know, my mom get vaccinated because she works with the public. And I would rather, like, my grandparents get vaccinated because they're high risk. Or, like, my aunt who works at a hospital or my stepmom who works at a hospital. Yeah. So I just, like, I don't know. I don't know if that's, like, the wrong mindset to have because it's literally putting everybody else before me. Um, so I'm signed up, but it's not like something that's heavily weighing. Like if I have to wait a few more weeks, it's not the biggest deal in the world for yeah. me. Yeah. I don't think it's a bad thing for you to say, you know what? Um, you know, when I qualify, I qualify and that's fine. But I will say if you find yourself in a situation where it's available to you, take it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. that's like my plan I signed up for. What, what was that website that you recommended last week? HiDrB.com. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yes, yeah, so I signed up for that. And um, and I told just like very casually, I told a few people that I know that work in um, in the medical industry that if they know hey, of a place that, that's had an ex, yeah, goods. an ex in vaccines to let me know. You know where um, I am. Yeah. I just, I was kind of making a game out of it. Like, how soon can I get one? And I really wanted to beat Laura. So I was just very driven. Can I tell you guys something funny? So, um, you know, in Georgia, they've really, they've expanded um, 
the the health conditions that allow you to qualify for the vaccine, one of those health conditions is having a BMI of 25 or greater, which most people do. Yeah. Um, and so when I walked up today, the pharmacist asked me what qualifies me during this phase. And I, and I just laughed. I was like, my BMI. <laughs> <laughs> I followed uh, an influencer, um, <laughs> and she also got vaccinated, I think, a few weeks ago. Now, she's uh, kind of younger. And she, in her caption, she was like, how did I get vaccinated? It's because I'm obese. That's right, folks. My thick thighs are saving lives. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, it's the one, lives. one yeah. time in my life when I feel like I've gotten, like, medical priority because of my BMI. <laughs> Yeah. No, usually like they blame everything on being like even a yeah. little bit overweight, which really sucks because then like you have a you runny know, nose, it's because you're fat. Right. Like, they're they're less inclined <laughs> to do feels any like. work on you. Like you really have to push, and that's not good either. But I just did one of those BMI calculators. I'm overweight, it says technically. I and I think this is a big problem in the country, by the way, Laura. I don't think it's limited mm-hmm. to Georgia. They're allowing people with these obese BMI calculations to get yes. the vaccine. I it does seem like vaccinations are pretty plentiful right now country wide yeah. dare I say. So, I don't feel like I wouldn't I wouldn't fault anybody for using that. And look, it's a dog eat dog world. I wanted to get vaccinated. I got in yeah. one of the lines. Like I did it on the up and up and of course. And yeah, I, I think if you if you want to do it for your own safety, do it. Well, it's also more of a commentary on the fact that we live in a country that has made it like the Hunger Games to yeah. get a life-saving vaccine. California, I mean, they're doing all right, but they're also not doing the best. But there's also it's also such a huge state, you know, that it's just like even if I qualified today, I'd probably still have to wait a, a week or two to even get an appointment. So, yeah. We'll be back in a moment with some pop culture highlights, but first, we'd like to share a quick word from our first sponsor of the week. They're Rothy's, and they make stylish and sustainable shoes and bags from recycled plastic bottles. Not only do they check the style and sustainability boxes, they're incredibly comfortable, have zero break-in period, and that's thanks to their seamlessly knit to shape design. With so many styles to choose from, Rothy's shoes are the perfect way to add some comfort and style to your closet. And finding the perfect style is easy because Rothy's come with free shipping and free returns on eligible items. And Rothy's doesn't let the grass grow under their feet. They're available in an ever-changing array of colors, prints, and patterns. I can't say enough about my purple Rothy's in the point silhouette, which, by the way, I've been going strong with for two years at this point, and they're still in great shape. Also, for the environmentally conscious among you, Rothy's has transformed over 70 million bottles into beautiful shoes, handbags, and face masks. Check out all of the amazing shoes, bags, and masks available right now at rothys.com slash M-I-L-L. That's R-O-T-H-Y-S dot com slash M-I-L-L. Style and sustainability meet to create your new favorites. Head to rothys.com slash M-I-L-L today. Okay, it's time to talk about what's been happening in pop culture over the past week. So two big titles premiered on streaming platforms, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. This premiered on Disney+. Plus. It's the, the second Marvel series. And Justice League over on HBO Max. This is the Snyder Cut of Justice League. It's four hours long. Anyone here attempt to watch the four-hour Justice League? Yeah, I watched no. it. Oh, you of did? Of course I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say of course. I didn't know you were a... I, are you a big I DC fan? prepared. Um, No, not, not as much as Marvel. Um, I will watch the Batman movies. I think out of all of the franchises they've tried to do, those are probably the best, even though they've obviously been remade hundreds of times at this point. Yeah. But I was not going to sit there for six hours. I do kind of wish I had watched the, um, the, 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 the Whedon cut or whatever they're calling that before. Yeah. Um, I ended up reading a summary about that because I, I kind of got a little, um, they changed enough that I got a little confused about what I was watching. Because mm. I was like, wait, like this didn't happen in the original. And like specifically the final battle 
is almost like completely different. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. So somebody who's like not well versed in DC. So just I would say like as a casual movie goer that enjoys superhero movies, (laughs) I will say that it was nice to see um, Snyder expand on a lot of characters that didn't get expanded on in the 2016 Justice League. And I feel like the final battle sequence was not as anticlimactic as it was in the 2016 version. Not as anticlimactic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, sounds- at this point, can we talk about it? Like, it, it's not like a spoiler, right? To talk I, about something that happened in 2016. Yeah, I guess not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Superman like Superman comes back, right? Is that what you're talking about? No, at the end of the 2016 one, there's this like, they, they like don't really defeat the main big bad. He actually gets defeated by his own army because they're <laughs> okay there's that whole thing about how they feed off of fear and that's why they're invading earth because they can smell people's fear and that's why humans are more susceptible so then at the end like he's so afraid of the justice league members that his army ends up turning on him and then he just gets like devoured by his own army i see and this is like way less that <laughs> so so it sounds like you're pretty positive on it overall the slander cut yeah i mean i does sh- could it be shorter? Yeah. But but um, w- was the extra stuff in there cool? Also, yes. Okay. So yeah. I'm kind of I like mean, very is... moderately in the middle. Yeah. This is for the diehard fans, right? Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like the four hours, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like it is justified if you're a hardcore DC fan and if you were disappointed by the original cut of this movie. But even critics have liked this new version more than the Whedon version. So it yeah. seems like... Mostly everybody is liking it more. I made it through the first three or four parts. It's like seven or eight parts. And it's all in one stream. It's not separate. I thought they were going to be separating it out. Um, I really liked the Wonder Woman sequences at the beginning. She has a really cool fight sequence that I loved. And after that, it got less interesting to me. But then I read a synopsis um, that covers the whole movie and... It sounded interesting to me, so I am going to finish it at some point, but again, like four hours. I have a hard time making it through like an hour-long television episode, so four hours is just a big commitment for me. And I do like that it is separated in chapters because it makes it really easy to know when to stop. So you can, like a normal person could watch this a couple of chapters at a time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Zian said it's six parts, by the way. I said seven or eight. Might be. I, you know what? I also thought it was seven or eight. So <laughs> just <laughs> seems like so it many. Was so long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and then the other big title, like I mentioned, was Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I liked it. I don't think it's as good as WandaVision. So far, it's not as good or compelling as WandaVision or uh, Mandalorian. Those from the outset, they were very intriguing. This so far, like a decent cliffhanger, and I'm interested in where Falcon is is going to be going with that cliffhanger. But other than that, I don't really care about what's going on with the Winter Soldier. It's not doing it for me yet, but I'll give it a chance. How do you guys feel? I really liked it, but my question for you, Andrew, is have you seen Captain America 2? Yeah. And have you seen Age of Ultron? Yes, I've seen oh, all the okay. Marvel movies. Okay, I'm just checking because I dare. feel like if you went into this not having seen or recently seen all of the Captain America movies, it could be a little hard um, to understand why you should care. <laughs> um, but what I really like about this, and I'm not going to, like, no spoilers, but I just like that... WandaVision and this series so far, they seem to be like the common theme seems to be there are consequences for vanishing half of Earth's population and then bringing it back. Yes. And I like that they're exploring that and that they're not just being like, oh, yeah, like half of Earth came back. No big deal. Um, I really like that they're diving into that. I also like that we're getting to see like what it's like to be an Avenger who's not like a core Avenger, you know, you're not Thor, you're not Iron Man. So like, you see the financial strain (laughs) that comes with it, you see some of the real world problems that these characters have. And I find it really, really interesting. And I like that they don't shy away from a lot of those like socioeconomic implications for these characters. Uh, I also really enjoyed it. But I do really 
like the Captain America movies. I think probably out of all of them, I've probably watched those the most. So like Laura was saying, it is kind of an extension of that universe. And if you enjoy the world building of that and the side character uh, development in that, then this is definitely the show for you. I also think it's a very easy in a lot of ways, it's, it's a lot more of an easier watch for somebody that does not um, know too much about the Marvel Cinematic Universe um, or like the comics. WandaVision is so much more um, fantastical, you know, so it's great for super fans. But for something like Falcon and Winter Soldier, it's kind of nice because you can probably go into watching this with like almost no context and still enjoy it because um, it's much more steeped in in um, in like the real world. Yeah, it's yeah. very grounded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I get that. Fair points. Something that I would recommend if you're finding yourself a little lost with these Marvel TV shows, Disney does have this really great little like bite-sized series you can watch called Marvel Legends. And ahead of each of these shows, they're rolling out these little seven to eight minute like montages to show you what's been going on with these characters, what their arcs are, what motivates them, what the major like plot points have been of their movies. And then they also let you know which movies those characters have been in. So if you want to go back and watch those movies, you can. This is a really great resource if you're like, you know what, I really am not feeling like going through the entire uh, MCU catalog. I just want like the Reader's Digest version. These are really good and should get you to a place where you can feel like I have a base level of understanding of these characters. I'm going to stick with Falcon, of course. I have nothing else to do on Friday nights. And it's nice to know there's a new Marvel TV series airing. And it's Disney and it's Marvel. So I'm sure there's going to be more surprises down the road. Yeah. Well, speaking of something that's kind of surprising, it uh, looks like Facebook is trying to indoctrinate the children into their social media applications. Uh, specifically, they are targeting Instagram for this. Uh, they're in the process of developing an Instagram for kids. So this would be geared towards anybody who's under the age of 13, because the current rule for Instagram is that users must be at least 13 years old to sign up unless the account clearly states that it's run by a parent. So that's like the tiny little loophole there. Um, so a spokesperson for Facebook said that they're actually building this app as a result of demand from kids asking their parents more and more if they can sign up for social media sites in an effort to keep up with their friends. Uh, Facebook already has a messenger service for kids. I don't know if this is on any of our radars. I completely forgot about it because I'm not a parent. But as soon as I saw this in the Bloomberg article reporting this Instagram kids, I was like, oh, yeah, they do have that. Um, so this is not really anything new. It kind of seems like this is their new game plan to try and um, sweeten the deal for kids that might want to sign up for social media, probably way too early. Um, so yep. the Messenger Kids service has a lot of parental control features. Um, it has to be linked to like a parent account, for example. And then parents manage the contact list and friending activity. They can set limitations for hours when kids can and can't message. They also have the option to download a copy of the child's messages and iMessages and videos. Uh, they get reports on who the child is chatting with if they opt in and how frequently they're chatting with that person. So you can kind of see like who your kid's spending the most time with online. And there's also like an option to get a log of images and videos that the child receives. So um, with all this said, there there was, I guess, a bit of a bug a couple of months ago that was allowing kids to friend um, people without, you know, their parents approving for their contact list for Facebook Messenger kids. So it's not without its flaws. But they're definitely trying to make it seem appealing for parents. And I'm sure that they'll do the same with Instagram for kids, uh, because they will be planning to put in some similar parental control features for that when it launches. Um, none of us are parents. But I thought that we could kind of come out this from the idea of like, um, when we signed up for our first social media site and also um, from the angle of if like we feel like an age limit would have deterred us either way because mm -hmm. there's something like like Facebook I remember Facebook when it launched was only for people with a university email account but I don't know it just kind of seemed like that was really easy for people to get around well they quickly we expanded that yeah. I think I joined Facebook in 2004 
and then Twitter in 2007. So I was of age. I was well, not of age, but I was I was at least 15 when I started joining social media networks. I guess MySpace came a little bit earlier. Yeah. And we must have been 14, 15 when we all joined MySpace. The thing is now, I bet with these kids, there's a lot of peer pressure to get on these social networks. You feel like you're left out if other kids are talking about being on any of these. I guess that's how kids bug their parents to let them join. But my my feeling and, you know, parents can <laughs> tell me to shut up. But my feeling on this and on giving a kid a smartphone is that once they have that phone, once they're on social media, chances are they're going to have that phone and that social media and that addiction to the Internet for the rest of their lives. Delay that addiction for as long as humanly possible. They don't realize how peaceful their life is without a phone and internet, but let them enjoy that peace for as long as you can. Of course, it's at some point, they're going to need a cell phone to call you while they're out and whatnot. But try to delay that day for as long as possible. Yeah, you make a good point about wanting to like not be left behind because I didn't really want to sign up for MySpace. But then, you know, oh, really? all my friends. Yeah, I'm just like, why do I need to do that? My friends were like, no, you have to. You have to because everyone's doing it. So I definitely succumbed to peer pressure, even though that wasn't something I was particularly interested in. Yeah, I definitely had a MySpace. And I also remember, like, not for social media in particular, but, you know, like being a kid Anytime you wanted to like sign up for a service that had a, an age requirement, you lied, right? Like everybody lied. It didn't matter what kind, like whether it was a social platform or like a like a web form, like whatever, what have you. People lied about that shit, and um, I definitely did too. I think to parents, I would say you know your child, mm-hmm. and. I think, you know, you know your child better than anyone, and I would say trust your gut on this issue, because your gut is almost always right. I don't know if I ever told this story. I stole my parents' credit card once to... Did you buy porn with it? What yeah, porn. Oh, that's I must... so funny. <laughs> of course you did. I, did I buy porn? Tech? I guess I did, yeah. Maybe, you know what, they caught me stealing the credit card, and that's what it was. I didn't actually sign up for the porn site, but I grabbed the credit card with the intention of signing up for a porn site, and then they caught me, and I made up some lie about needing it for Nickelodeon.com. <laughs> It's so funny. Man, kids these days don't know how easy they have it with all the free porn on the internet. Yeah, exactly. You must be bored too, said. At least MySpace taught some HTML skills. That is true. That's (laughs) true. They had their own themes. They were all so bad. We learned (laughs) a little HTML along the way. I feel like I got that from Zanga too. Yeah, Yeah. definitely had a Zanga for a while. For sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. None of us have children, but I, I do kind of wonder, like, if you, if you did have children now, would, do you feel like 12, 13 years old is too young or about the right age to let your kids sign up for I these think kind of sites? It just all depends on when they would get the phone, I think. Yeah. I got my first phone when I started staying after school, my freshman year of high school. Um, Same. Because my parents wanted to be wanted me to call them when it was time for them to pick me up. So and that was 15 or so. And that wasn't a smartphone, of course. So that's a little different. But I would say high school, I would attempt to make them wait until high school. I guess my feeling is that, again, we all remember when we were kids and being told, no, you can't do something is the ultimate motivator to want to do it. And I feel like if I had a 13-year-old and and I knew that they were probably going to end up on social media anyway, I feel like I would rather know about it than have them hide it from me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, so I would probably be okay with it. But I would, you know, I would want I'd reserve the right to, you know, if things seemed suspicious <laughs> to uh, ask them what's going on at the very least. But yeah, I don't know. And this is why I'm not a parent, because I don't want to deal with these questions. <laughs> no, that's that's totally fair. Because like excessive worry. <laughs> on one hand, you can't you can't control your kids forever. On the other hand, you know, you want to save them from 
a lot of the perils that being, you know, a citizen of the internet comes yeah. with, like negative feedback or cyberbullying, online predators, things like that. So, how about you, Pam? Did you answer what age? No, but I feel like if I could, I think like you guys, I'd wait. I'd try to to make my kid wait until maybe fourteen high school age. Yeah. But nowadays, it's so hard because kids are getting cell phones younger and younger. Right. So it's all just there. Maybe just like give the kid a flip phone so it's not a smartphone yeah. or something like that. I said high school. I'm going to revise my answer. Late middle school. I think it's just probably mm. realistic. That would to, be like 13, 14 too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And one of our listeners, Sarah, who's listening live right now, she said, I don't think I will let my kids go on social media until they're 16. That's impressive, honestly. Good for you if you can make that work. We have a couple more things to talk about today, but first we have a new sponsor this week who is a perfect fit for the show because we like talking about the best ways to save money and grow what you have. One way to do that is by investing your money in the stock market, but you may think that idea sounds out of reach because it's complicated or confusing. Well, enter public.com, which makes it more accessible to trade on the stock market. Public is a very slick app that makes it easy to invest in companies that you love. But nice UI aside, what I really love about public.com is that it has a social aspect. You can actually see what other users are saying about every stock. It can help you feel way less alone. And that's important because when you go at this yourself, it's less fun and you may feel like you're in the dark on your trades and you may find it, like I said, confusing. Now you can see how others are trading and why they're making those decisions. Before public.com, I'd be on Twitter searching stock ticker codes to see what other people are saying about the latest ups and downs, but no longer, because thanks to public.com, it all happens in the app. Public.com lets you buy stocks for any amount of money. You can buy fractional shares, meaning a part of a share, if you don't want to buy a full share because it's a really expensive stock. And public.com is creating a new, more inclusive culture for investing. The public.com community is made up of 40% women and 45% people of color. Just go to public.com slash millennial to follow me and Laura on public.com and see what we're investing in. You can start investing today with as little as $1. You'll even get a free slice of stock when you join. Valid for U.S. residents 18 and over, subject to account approval. See public.com slash disclosures. This is not investment advice. All right. Well, uh, unfortunately, we have to kick off this week's politics coverage with some really tragic news out of my hometown of Atlanta. Um, there was a series of three shootings at um, three different um, spas here in the Atlanta metro area. Um, these were Asian-owned spas, and um, there were eight victims who were killed. The majority of them were um, of Asian descent. And I just think about the timing on this because we just did a conversation about um, the increase in hate crimes against the Asian American Pacific Islander community in this country. Um, so to have something like this come up so soon after that conversation. And then I know there have been a couple of other news stories that probably haven't gotten as much press in recent days that have come up. And I just, I really wanted to highlight that this, I feel like this kind of um, incident isn't something that there was a ton of awareness about up until pretty recently. Um, I know that surrounding the coronavirus pandemic, we've certainly heard echoes of it. It could just be a reflection of my own ignorance. Um, but it just isn't something that I feel like has gotten a ton of attention up until the last week. It could also be where I am locally because this happened here that we're hearing so much about it. But I thought it was first of all, important that we acknowledge um, the victims who were killed. Um, actually, a week ago, when this show will be releasing, since recording this episode, it's come to our attention that the organization Stop AAPI Hate has learned that some families of the Atlanta area victims have asked for their names not to be shared. Out of respect for the families, we've removed the victims' names from our episode and pledge not to share their names until the families have given consent for outlets to do so. Really important to emphasize who these people were because so much of the press 
around this right now is focusing on the shooter, as it so often does. The victims get lost in the conversation. The victims get lost in that conversation, absolutely. And the media loves to look for patterns. And the pattern that I would identify here, first of all, is that the shooter was a young white man. We see this again and again and again. And we also see, in terms of patterns, excuses being made for this person from the sheriff's office, from the media, um, from at you know advocates for the shooter, and it's just disgusting. We want to make sure that here on this show, we do everything that we can to make space for the voices of communities when they're experiencing this kind of trauma. Um, so we actually have a listener, Michelle, who had written to us prior to our conversation a couple of weeks ago about the increase in hate crimes against the AAPI community. Um, she had written in and provided us a lot of really great resources to use for that discussion. So the fact that that we had those resources for that discussion is all a credit to her. Um, and we are actually going to be having her on the show next week um, to speak about this topic more in depth and to give um, some space for her to speak about her experiences and, and also share some additional resources. Um, but in the meantime, we also wanted to share a couple of resources with you um, that you can use to support the AAPI community because there certainly is a lot of pain there right now. Um, so the first one would be stopaapihate.org. Um, that's a resource where you can learn more, but you can also um, make donations. There's also a GoFundMe called Stop Asian Hate, which goes to support organizations that uplift the Asian American Pacific Islander community and to support those affected by the violence. The only thing I would add without treading too far into our discussion from last week is that, like you said, you know, his actions are trying to be justified, the shooter's actions and the police it kind of seems like are coming to his his defense and trying to make excuses. And it's just ridiculous. You can put two and two together and figure out what's going on here. Yeah. There is a reason he targeted these places. 100%. And it's so damaging, too, because, like, I, I've i even heard from, unfortunately, from people in my own life that have said things like, well, we shouldn't jump to the gun because authorities say that they're they're not sure yet if it's racially motivated. So, like, there is your proof that comments like that can be super harmful mm -hmm. to not just the communities that are hurting, but also just to skewing the the reality of a situation mm -hmm. that is very serious. Um, I know that last time we talked about this, I also mentioned that there's been a surge in AAPI hate crimes out here in the Bay Area as well, because we have a large Asian population. So something like this um, just like also hits very cl close to home for me because I, it could, I could just so easily, unfortunately, see it happening here. I can certainly understand the impulse to not want to jump to conclusions, right? Jumping to conclusions generally, you know, it's not seen as a good thing. Um, however, I think that even if you are unsure, there is, you know, there is a, co a correct way to address this. And it's by acknowledging that there's a lot of pain being felt by by any community when something like this suggests that they've been targeted, right? We can safely say that. It's one of these things where it's like, I wish I had the words. Yeah. Speaking of jumping to conclusions and making assumptions, when the attacker is a person of color, it's immediately deemed terrorism. You know, of course. And then when it's a white guy with a bad haircut, it, oh, wait and see. We can't be sure what right. happened. He had a bad day. The cops said that about this guy. He had a bad day. I almost threw up when I heard that. The hypocrisy that happens time and time again is unbelievable. We definitely want to hold on to some of this space for next week when Michelle joins us. Ahead of that, we're just so thankful um, to her for her willingness to come on and speak to us because we know that 
it's got to be exhausting. And um, I'm just profoundly thankful for um, her reaching out to us and sharing her experience, being willing to come on the show and also sharing a number of resources. So thank you, Michelle, and really looking forward to speaking to you next week. It's always really good to hear from somebody who is really going through it. Pam, you have a later topic for us. I do. And it's there's like no graceful way to transition over to this. But um, for some context, my my two my two sisters live out in Hawaii and we were catching up and they are really um, outdoorsy. And so they go on a lot of hikes and they were talking to me about this, um, this new story that came out a couple of weeks ago. But I feel like it's pretty relevant right now because we're seeing an influx of tourism beginning to return as more vaccines are rolled out. So it just seems like a good time to talk about this. Um, but basically what it comes down to is that Hawaii uh, state lawmakers are proposing two separate bills that would allow local governments to charge reckless hikers for search and rescue operations. This is something that happens a lot out in Hawaii where there are you know so many different ways that you can take advantage of nature and go out hiking. Uh, but that also means that because people are not on their guard, uh, they tend to, uh, you know, conveniently avoid things like trail closures in an effort to seek some adventure, or maybe put themselves a little bit more danger than they would normally if they were, you know, back home. So one of the bills is looking to allow local counties to charge reckless hikers if they need search and rescue, because it can get really expensive. It could start costing upwards of $10,000. And it's also very dangerous for county police and fire departments who often have to use helicopters and other equipment to rescue these rogue hikers. And then there's another bill that is being uh, suggested that would look to fine hikers for illegally trespassing on private property or closed trails. Um, Many of the islands obviously rely very heavily on the tourism industry as a source of revenue, but tourism also saw a steep decline as a result of the pandemic. So they're hoping that by introducing these bills and passing them, the counties will be able to kind of like cut their losses a little bit from that, uh, because all of that comes out of taxpayer money, uh, search and rescue. Um, And then they're also just kind of hoping that it'll deter people and scare them away from, you know, deciding to do some dumb shit while they're out there visiting. Uh, But then on the other side, you have uh, people like the uh, Honolulu Honolulu Fire Department who are opposed because they think that it might discourage people from seeking help if they need it. Um, So that could Mm. potentially weigh on uh, lawmakers' decisions to move this forward or or to leave it on the table. Mm -hmm. This was also very interesting to me because we've been talking about hiking off and on on this show. And search and rescue is not something that I ever think about when I go hiking anywhere. Is that something that you're thinking about, Andrew, when you're no, going to... No, because I'm not an idiot. I'm staying on the trail. You know, if like, God you... forbid, I fall off a rock and seriously harm myself, uh, I hope Brooklyn can carry me back on his back. Do you... <laughs> I was going to say, do you think about this when like Pat tells you he wants to be a little bit more adventurous? Because I feel like you brought this yeah. up recently, right? Yeah, like, yeah. You, he wants to yeah. hike this very dangerous hike. I, some people won't say it's dangerous, but I think it's dangerous. Uh, this very dangerous hike in Utah, and I'm not for it because if he falls over, I don't want to be the one calling his mom and telling her that he died because his dumb ass got too close to the edge of, edge of a cliff. Make Brooklyn do it. Make Brooklyn do what? Oh, call? <laughs> Deliver the mom. bad news. Yeah. <laughs> Just like, arf, 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 arf. <laughs> but yeah, it's not something I think about when I'm personally hiking, but you do see these stories from time to time about hikers who are lost and who might put themselves into danger. If a trail is clearly marked and it's generally safe, there should be no reason to call emergency services unless there's a medical emergency, you know, like a heart attack. And in that case, no, you shouldn't have to pay for it if they usually don't charge you. Now, if you're going off the trail to get a really great Instagram pic and you get yourself into trouble, the city or emergency services should not have to foot the bill just because you were an idiot in their town. Yeah, I kind of feel like in general, You can get a pretty good idea of someone's intent, right? Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody is hiking a trail and following all the directions and they still get hurt or get stuck somewhere, then obviously I think they should be helped. And I don't think that that should be something they're charged for if it's a genuine accident. Mm -hmm. But if you've got some tourists from the continental United States... (laughs) 
who are like down there with their smartphones and their GoPros, you know, doing something that is clearly outside of their realm of expertise. That's a pretty clear indicator that somebody was not prepared or not well prepared to be taking those risks. I kind of liken it to anytime when anybody abuses any kind of emergency service, like when people call the police and there's no need to call the police or they're calling out of chicken nuggets. Yeah, exactly. It's like, yeah, I think that you should be fined. That really happens. Stupid. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think you should be fine for being stupid. I think if it's a genuine mistake or if somebody... Stupid fine. Yeah. Or if somebody, you know, genuinely fears for their life or Mm -hmm. they find themselves in a situation they can't get out of, yes, of course. Um, But yeah, I think there's a clear difference between a genuine accident and a tourist doing something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a really good point because in, in researching this and realizing that, like, I have no idea if, you know, even California charges you for search and rescue. I went on a little search and turns out that a couple of states in the continental United States also already have like laws in place like this. So this isn't really anything new. But again, like maybe not something that you think about when you're going on vacation and you're just thinking about having fun and you're feeling like, you know, a little bit invincible. So just to run through these really quickly, uh, New Hampshire charges for anyone who acts negligently. So that's kind of what Laura was basically saying, where you should be fined if you're doing something stupid. Uh, Colorado and Vermont charge people who travel out of bounds at ski areas. Idaho charges hikers who trespass. California, this is so funny. California can charge any individual's uh, county of residence for a mission that costs over $100, which is probably all of them. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then Utah, uh, the counties of Wayne and Grand that are home to Moab and the Arches National Park charge visitors for search and rescue, but not local slash county residents. And the reason that they're more inclined to do this is because it comes out of taxpayer dollars and there's not a lot lot of residents that live in those counties so it's unfair for them that's to be a charged. fair compromise yeah I think. yeah i wonder about the cost of search and rescue and i mean i don't know this at all so i would be very curious to know what these numbers are but like is search and rescue similarly overpriced in the way that like medical treatment in the united states I is bet overpriced? It is. Like, i bet it is yeah Who's keeping those prices in check? I know that some places have like volunteer search and rescue teams. So I wonder if like that cuts the cost a little bit. Yeah. Maybe. Andrew's like, I don't want I don't want volunteers looking for yeah. me. Yeah. I, I want, want professionals. Pros. That's who I'm paying for. <laughs> Just be be smart. Do your research. You know, make sure that you're well equipped to to be on the trails that you want to go on. Right. You can look up any trail on Google Maps and see reviews for it. You'll know what you're getting yourself into for the most part. People will tell you how strenuous it is, if there's any dangerous areas, you know, and you got to think about the weather and all that, too. Trails are safe, period, unless it's Angel's Landing in uh, Zion. just follow the the signs, you know? Well, and also know your body and know what you're going to be reasonably comfortable doing. Like, Andrew knows this about me. We went to like a a zip lining course one time do you remember that yeah. and like part, it wasn't just zip lining it was also like walking across tight ropes 50 feet in the air and like getting around all kinds of middle of the air obstacle type things and they had courses that had different levels of difficulty we started on the green one which was the easy one meant for children and then we went up to the yellow one which was like the first level for adults. And I was like, all right, I'm good. I'm good with yellow. I don't need to go any further. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to go sit my ass down. Yeah, I remember that. Good for you. You knew your limits. Yeah. One other item I just wanted to mention today, the incoming Teen Vogue editor-in-chief Alex McCammond stepped down after racist tweets surfaced from high school. These tweets from 2011 read things like, quote, outdone by Asian, hashtag what's new, or now Googling how to not wake up with swollen Asian eyes, or give me a two out of 10 on my chem problem. Thanks a lot, stupid Asian teacher's assistant. You're great. So clearly, extremely offensive racist remarks. 
she tweeted some homophobic things as well. The tweets had actually surfaced once before in 2019 because she's uh, she used to write for Axios as well. And after surfacing again, following her appointment to editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue, Condé Nast, who owns Teen Vogue, said in a statement, sorry, it's Alexi, after speaking with Alexi this morning, we agreed that it was best to part ways so as to not overshadow the important work happening at Teen Vogue. So here's my question to both of you. How do you feel about tweets by a high schooler causing them to lose a job 10 years later? You know, I think they made the right decision, not just because she's racist, but also because these tweets clearly show poor judgment. Even as a high schooler, how do you think it's okay to tweet clearly horrible things, clearly racist things? If you go in any of our Twitter feeds from 10 years ago or our MySpace or our Facebook, you won't see shit like this because it's insane. Yeah. Somebody with poor judgment can't be editor in chief. I would like to know what steps they have taken to prove that they have learned from their past mistakes in the past 10 years and that they don't hold the same beliefs because that's Mm -hmm. what it comes down to, right? It doesn't matter that if it was that it was 10 years ago, if this person would still operate the same way today behind closed doors. Right. At the same time, I feel like we as a society need to get better about allowing people to rehabilitate when there's the option for that, because it's not going to fix the problem to expunge these people from the workforce. Yeah, I tend to feel very similarly in that I would like to think that people can be given the opportunity to do better. Um, So I would also be very curious to know what level of acknowledgement have they given in regards to these tweets? Has there been any kind of apology? Has there been a concerted effort to try and educate themselves Those are the things that I would want to look for Um, at the same time, just because somebody does rehabilitate, I don't think necessarily entitles them Mm -hmm. to a job like this. Like sometimes you really step in it and you have to own it, right? You have to own that and understand that. There are consequences, like there's no such thing as consequence-free speech. Um, So, yeah, these things are reprehensible. And, you know, especially in the era of the Internet, this kind of rhetoric will follow somebody around for the rest of their life. So I think people should be given the chance to prove... Because everybody's problematic to a degree, right? I think we can all agree on that. Like, there's, there's not a single person who is completely unproblematic, However, this is not um, this isn't somebody speaking in like coded language that you could argue they might have been ignorant to or it's not somebody speaking in like stereotypes that you could argue that they didn't understand what they were saying. This is like pretty blatant stuff. So, yeah, I think people should be given the opportunity to rehab to Pam's point. On the other hand, I don't know that rehabbing entitles you to be um, an editor-in-chief, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, here's one of her big missteps, and I should have included this at the front. In 2019, when these tweets originally surfaced, she did apologize, but she only said that they were deeply insensitive, not that they were racist. And it seemed like she hadn't learned why they were wrong why they were deeply insensitive because they're racist yeah Yeah. so i think that was one of the big factors at play here and by the way her pronouns are she her at least according to the new york times article that's really important and i also i really like the point that you made about how being an editor-in-chief relies heavily on judgment but also understanding who your audience is and how to accurately reflect your audience's concerns in the work yeah and how is she going to do that when there are asians in teen vogue's audience in teen vogue's readership yeah you know there's a loss of trust there it in in this case specifically this is way different than somebody that works an office job you know yes I agree. Yeah. And Teen Vogue is also, you know, they've made a name for themselves, particularly over the last four to five years of being 
a progressive voice, you know, and you got to walk the walk and talk the talk. The other angle here is that Alexi is a woman of color. So they were taking a step forward by appointing a woman of color to a high-level position. That's great. But then they were taking two steps back after Alexi and Condé Nast started receiving backlash over the tweets. I think also the common misconception is that minorities can't be racist. And that's clearly, Mm -hmm. that's like, that's not the case at all. Like, just using the Latinx community as an example, because that's a community that I am a part of, you know, there's a huge race problem in terms of um, the darkness or lightness of skin amongst Latinx people. Um, Afro-Latinos are very often erased. And also, um, you know, there there are a lot of racist Latinx people in the community that, you know, are racist towards people that are Afro-Latino. Um, so I, I just think that, like, I get what people are saying about how Maybe it's not a good luck to tear down a woman of color, but I don't think that's the kind of progress that we're looking for at the end of the day. Yeah, but taking this even a step further, it just occurred to me, if she were a white woman, would the consequences have been this severe? Like, would she have been held accountable in this way? This is a good question. Or in in the same way. I would hope that in her, in the industry, the answer would be yes, but it's really hard to tell because there's always a double standard. All right. Well, thank you for the feedback there. Okay. It's time for some recommendations now. So Oscar season is here. We're all getting ready for the Oscar ceremony, or at least some of us are. And over the weekends, Pat and I watched Nomadland starring Frances McDormand. Uh, Really good movie. It's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. I think it won a few Golden Globes. It's about a woman who is living on the road in a van. And as somebody who has said a few times on the show that I want to become a trucker and who has also said I love the movie Up in the Air because George Clooney is just traveling around all the time, I really enjoyed this movie. It is a really good movie about uh, just finding your purpose in life and just trying to live a a freer life. I wanted to recommend uh, buying a first aid kit if you don't already have one. And also, if you do have one, making sure that it's well stocked and all your bandages <laughs> are still, you know, doing what they're supposed to do, because um, I realized that I should have bought some more on Wednesday night. And I don't want you guys to to come across a situation where you might need something that you don't have in your house. And I would like to recommend a book called Bagman by Rachel Maddow and Michael Yarvitz. This book is about Richard Nixon's, I feel like, less known, less covered vice president, Spiro Agnew. Um, Spiro Agnew, who was every bit as corrupt as Nixon and was actually uh, going through like the themes that ultimately led to Nixon's resignation are very similar to Uh, the themes that come with what Spiro Agnew brought to office. And it's also just a really entertaining read, because if you're a Maddow fan, like, it's very much written in her voice. So she has some really funny observations about it. But it's also a good read, because you see that people like Spiro Agnew kind of wrote the playbook that someone like Donald Trump used all these years later. Um, So good book. It's a quick read, but also super interesting. Okay, good to know. Before we wrap up the show, Laura, what are we doing in After Dark today over at patreon.com slash millennial? We're going to be talking about the push and pull of life goals versus career goals and where we place the most value and our experiences in having to choose one over the other sometimes. So we're going to open up. Yep. That'll be available at patreon.com slash millennial. You get access to After Dark every week. And by the way, if you're not a patron, just consider this. You will have hours upon hours, maybe days worth at this point of After Dark installments to enjoy if you become a patron today. This is all available forever. We're not deleting any of this because we have no regrets, baby. (laughs) (laughs) 
We have no problem holding ourselves accountable if we do say something we regret. So not just After Dark is available at our Patreon, but also you have access to our live streams, our exclusive Discord channel where uh, listeners hang out as we are recording each new episode live. And obviously we're in there too, chatting away with everybody. It's a really fun time. You also get access to Ad Free Millennial, our planning docs, uh, monthly hangouts with the Millennial crew, and much more. So check out patreon.com slash millennial. Thank you very much in advance. It's the reason why we are a podcast, period. Also, we would appreciate if you left us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to Millennial. And if you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com, now featuring our new artwork. And of course, we have our confessional there as well if you wish to submit anything anonymously. And finally... Follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So that's all. Thanks, everybody, for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Goodbye. Goodbye.